Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 29th episode of 2021. In Washington, it appears that we're in a bit of a stalemate on the infrastructure package as they cannot arrive on a consensus on how to pay for it. The language on the broadband part of the infrastructure plan came out earlier this week and is largely what we expected. We will see what happens later today or later this week and see if uh, Schumer puts this to a vote but it appears that we do not have 10 Republicans and all the Democrats at this point, but we'll see what happens. On a positive note, we are four days away from the start of the 2021 Fiber Connect Conference, which is gonna be held in Nashville on July 25th to 28th, that's Sunday. We have reached our capacity, so our online registration will close tonight at midnight. So if you have not registered, please do so immediately as you're not gonna wanna miss it. Today's Fiber for Breakfast session is going to be extremely interesting. We'll be discussing why Pond is set for rapid growth in North America. This late-breaking research and market forecast may surprise you. And again, good morning and welcome, everyone. I am Gary Bolton, the President and CEO of the Fiber Broadband Association. You know, last week, we met with Tim Moyer and Sarah Blue of NTIA to get a demo on NTIA's national broadband mapping tools. Joining us today is Jamie Linderman from the industry research firm, Omdia. Jamie is going to share with us her latest research on Fiber of the Home Pond and provide us with the latest forecast, which surprised even Jamie. Uh, Jamie Linderman is the senior analyst at Omnia's service provider network team with a focus on wireline broadband access. Her research topics include uh, Fiber to the Premise Pond, DSL, GFAST, and cable broadband access networks. She's worked in the telecom industry for over five years. And prior to Omnia's uh, legacy business, um, she worked as a, uh, worked in Obum since uh, 2017. And she was uh, also previously, previously worked on broadband infrastructure and customer premise equipment at analyst firm IHS Market, another Omnia business. So welcome, Jamie. For our audience, please type in your questions as we go in our Q&A for the um, Q&A at the conclusion of this presentation. And with that, I'd like to turn it over to you, Jamie. Great, thanks so much, Gary. Um, So good morning, everyone. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you all today and having a discussion uh, around uh, pond networks in North America. Uh, We have recently at Omdia updated our latest pond uh, equipment forecast. Uh, And so today I would like to discuss some of our findings with you. So what I'd really like to start with is a slide talking about PON's uh, growing influence uh, on access networks. Uh, So really, PON started as a fiber to the home, fiber to the prem technology. It was considered best efforts. It was, and really it was an early future-proof strategy for operators. Uh, And then, the introduction of the use of pond for small businesses and small medium enterprises has come in. Uh, it's gaining mind share, uh, allows for easy upgrades to 10 gig. Uh, and then additionally, it not future proofing has become part of a competitive strategy. 
And it's also allowed the adoption of open access uh, by not just network operators, but as well as overbuilders. And then now what's really come into the mind frame is using PON not just for fiber to the home and not just for small medium enterprise, but for additional non-residential use cases, such as smart city and transport, uh, allowing reuse of the ODN efficiently. And this is also enabling new revenue streams uh, and, and faster return on investment is becoming a reality. Um, additionally, back to residential, it is allowing for future proofing for not just one gig, but beyond for service offerings. And then smart city applications and then use for wireless backhaul. And then furthermore, uh, what's really beginning to gain mind share and traction is the use of fiber access and pod networks, not just on the service and billing level, but convergence on a physical network level. And this is really allowing operators to support X-Hall in terms of front hall for 5G. And additionally, this is introducing the capability to do network slicing, whether it be for internal use or for wholesaling. Um, and then additionally, uh, this idea for a single fiber access network is allowing for the coexistence of PON, 10 gig PON, 25 gig PON, and in the future, 50 gig PON. And so there's some great news here, but it also does come with some challenges. In our latest forecast, the PON equipment market is growing strongly in all regions, uh, except for China. Um, this is because China already has such a high uh, penetration rate for fiber. Um, however, uh, the other regions that are growing strongly, it, it's reflecting how important these fiber-based access networks are becoming. Uh, additionally, this is leading to unprecedented opportunities for uh, various PON equipment vendors. Um, another great news is, you know, we're starting to see more realism around the role of fixed wireless access versus fiber-based access networks. Uh, the conversation around uh, fixed mobile network convergence at the infrastructure layer is really making the uh, making the story for fiber-based access networks. And then additionally, uh, a better understanding on, on how PON can support 5G and transport. Um, some challenges, though, however, what we're seeing is, of course, the big elephant in the room, which is the current supply chain shortages. Um, another is the conversation between 25 gig pond versus 50 gig pond and the, the divergence between the two. Um, another issue that in certain regions and countries is the lack of skilled labor at the moment. Um, and then additionally, uh, diverse opinions uh, between how much bandwidth is really needed uh, for, um, for residential or, uh, or even in some cases with transport non-residential for non-residential. Additionally, one of, the, one of the upsides is the unprecedented opportunities, but at the same time, this poses a challenge to various vendors. Uh, operators have a wide range of different goals, timeframes, and skill sets. Uh, so some of these unprecedented opportunity uh, for some vendors can, it leads to the potential of indigestion versus starvation execution challenges. Um, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. 
And so briefly, I, I just wanted to showcase our forecast and what we're seeing on a region by region level. Uh, as you can see here, uh, there's a shift of power away from China. Again, this is due to China's high penetration in fiber already. Uh, but additionally, uh, the mine share that is growing um, region by region and the total pawn equipment market is, is set to grow significantly um, to uh, approaching 15 billion uh, in 2026. Uh, North America uh, is forecasted to grow uh, from 732 million in revenues in 2019 uh, to over 3 billion in 2026. So you can see uh, that there's significant um, growth that is set to happen in North America. And some other additional upsides uh, is infrastructure builds are happening faster. Um, and this, again, this is leading to faster pawn equipment deployments. Uh, some e examples of that include RDOF and the potential upcoming infrastructure bill, uh, as well as the interest by private equity finance network builds uh, are playing a large role uh, in various regions. And then additionally, there with the growth of fiber is coming more competition in the US. And this is really forcing cable operators to deploy more fiber to the prem. Um, and, and although this is on a market by market basis. And here I would like to show how 10 gig pond is ramping quickly in North America. Uh, as you can see, uh, non-next-gen pond OLTs uh, in 2021 are set to be just under 400,000 port shipments. Uh, and to get, to just give you a contrast to where we see 10 gig pond OLT shipments being in 2026 is approaching 1.1 million port shipments. And this is just OLTs alone, uh, not counting ONT, ONU shipments. Uh, so 10 gig pond port OLT shipments are, are set to grow at a CAGR of 44% annually through 2026. Um, and then additionally, uh, 25 and 50 gig pond OLT ports will begin their ramp in 2022, uh, which, which will be slow during the forecast period. But really the story here is 10 gig pond is starting to play a major role in the rollout of fiber access networks in North America. And so touching on uh, the divergence of what comes after 10 gig pawn. Um, so 50 gig pawn uh, is becoming the ITUT standard. In large part, it is backed by the Chinese operators. Uh, they see that the next upgrade should be a five times bandwidth increase, which also matches the five times bandwidth increase we saw between XG and GPON. And then additionally, 50G Pond is backed by the Chinese vendors. Um, and several of these vendors are vertically integrated. So there is no reliance on Broadcom, for example. Additionally, uh, there is has been the commercial rollout of 25Gig Pond. However, 25Gig G Pond did not pass ITUT standardization. Um, on a on DIA consulting project with operator interviews, uh, there really was less concern since 25 gig pawn is not for mass market FTTH. It's really for the purpose of non-residential applications. 
Additionally, uh, there has formed the 25 gig MSA group. Uh, this includes operators as well as equipment and component vendors. And then additionally, uh, a leading supporter has an internal PON Mac chip that supports 25 gig PON. Uh, and again, there has been a commercial rollout of the technology, whereas 50 gig PON uh, will still be several quarters until we see something come to market. And then lastly, I just wanted to again touch on uh, this unprecedented opportunity uh, for vendors and, and how it can actually become a challenge. Uh, there is a major difference between operator types, you know, as we have incumbents, incumbents acting as wholesalers, altnets, overbuilders, we have the rural co-ops, utilities, municipal broadband, as well as the different tiers of operator incumbent types, so tier twos and tiers threes. Um, every operator type has different existing network design, uh, operations, management expertise, as well as uh, integration uh, with their older broadband technologies as they transition to fiber, uh, and as well as uh, the integration of OSS BSS. Depending on the operator, there's a different expectation regarding end-to-end -end network build, uh, whether they need end-to-end -end network build assistance or whether they just want equipment uh, and they leave it to their engineering teams. Uh, additionally, there's different time-to-market expectations. Uh, with with uh, the pandemic, there's various operators that, that need or needed the equipment uh, immediately uh, versus some operators that are just planning out for the future. Um, and additionally, uh, one large point is there are certain operators that have multi-vendor contract awards uh, versus operators that are comfortable with one offer, one vendor, excuse me, supplying, uh, supplying all of their equipment. And so really here, vendors as well as operators uh, need to objectively assess their partnership capabilities um, uh, against the opportunity when they're looking, whether vendors are looking to partner with an operator or operators are seeking out a vendor to partner with. Um, and so on that point, I, I tried to, Gary, I tried to get done a few minutes early because I'd really like to leave some time for Q&A. Um, so I, I'm going to pass it over to you, um, but I, I hope this has been a helpful overview of what we're seeing in the market and, and the rapid expansion of fiber access networks in North America. So thank you. Thanks, Jamie. You know, this is super interesting. Um, you, one of your earlier slides, you talked about more realism around the role of fixed wireless access versus fiber. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, I think when we're talking about is specifically 5G FWA, uh, there's really, uh, I really do see that as a tool in the toolkit for operators. Um, there are parameters and there are specific scenarios where the technology is applicable. Um, however, it's not, it's not for every residence. It's not for every business. Um, and so the, it's really on a case by case basis, which is as well as some of the technology hindrances, whether it be with foliage or window type or weather even. Um, and so, whereas you don't have some of the, you don't have those issues when you're with regards to fiber access networks and a true wireline connection. 
Yeah, so in February, you had your research, your forecast looked quite, quite a bit different. Can you talk about kind of um, how that's differed from what you reported just a few months ago and you know, why that's changed so dramatically? Yeah, certainly. Um, I think part of it is the idea that one gig, even though the average residence does not need one gig, there is the idea that the average North American residence expects one gig, as, as well as the rising understanding by the consumer around symmetrical bandwidth uh, has become really important to the marketing story. Uh, additionally, the growth of PON uh, for the use of non-residential use cases has grown dramatically, as well as the award for the ARDOF awards and really what that is going to enable for operators across, uh, across the United States. We're also seeing additional growth in different regions, uh, especially Latin America and rest of Asia Pacific, where they see the future-proof solution um, to be important. And that, for example, in Latin America, we have several cable operators who have seen that it is a better business case for them to move directly to fiber versus continuing to upgrade their aging HFC plant and what they can, what having a fiber access network then enables them to do to increase service revenue opportunities. Hey, Trish, can you move back to the slide with the, um, the pond forecast? Yeah, right there. So that purple line, 10 gig pond, so 10 gig symmetric, if I look at that right, it says that we are at the crossover point where the number of shipments for 10 gig pond is gonna exceed uh, next gen pond. Is that, is that what I'm reading that right? This is correct, yes. And so we're seeing, to, and this is just OLTs, this does not include ONTONU shipments. Uh, I wanted to just hear, you know, have a simple figure here. Uh, but however, yes, we're, we're about to see the crossover. And, and part of this is that the pricing on 10 gig pond has is come down dramatically. And so when an operator takes a look at the price for non-next-gen PON versus 10 gig, 10 gig PON, uh, you get X amount of, you, you get multitudes more bandwidth for, I think right now it, it's less than, uh, it's around 50% more cost, uh, which, which you, can't, you can't disagree with, with those business case numbers. So, I mean, but for an operator or anybody mm -hmm. that's looking to deploy, you know, if they get federal subsidies or trying to build a network, um, what I'm reading is that you need to build 10 gig symmetric networks going forward um, based on what the rest of the world's doing. Yes, and, and if an operator wants to be able to adopt additional revenue streams and new applications and move beyond residential, 10 gig pawn is the answer. And then when we moved, I was a little surprised about the pink line at the bottom, fuchsia, whatever mm -hmm. you, call it, you want to call that. Um, so it, it, from our, your research, we're going to skip 25 gig pond and move right to 50 gig pond. It, it sounds like China will be the first mover on that. When does that tick up? So that is, is beginning to ramp in 2022. It, it is, and this is just for North America. Uh, it will definitely start to tick up on a global level much faster, the line will be much steeper. Um, however, 
I'm for this figure, I have 20 gig and 50 gig technology together. Um, it will, there are various regions where 25 gig pawn will uh, also be competitive with 50 gig pawn. So it's not necessarily skipping anything. There's just going to be two options in the market. However, China being the large consumer of pawn ports, uh, they will go with 50 gig. And so we will see a large uptick once China comes to market, Chinese vendors come to market with those technologies. And then subsequently as additional vendors, non-Chinese vendors come to market with the same technology for 50 gig. So if we looked at this chart for China, that line that would be going almost vertical would be the, the 25, 50 gig pond. So we're, what, a half a decade behind China? I'd probably say we're a few years. I wouldn't say, you know, five or more. It, it just depends on how quickly the 50 gig technology comes to market. And I do believe with the introduction of the 25 gig technology, there is the, there is the um, appetite to have it come to market as fast as possible. Uh, we have not seen the 50 gig uh, uh, technology come to market yet. Uh, but we do know that uh, it, it is likely going to, with the 25 gig introduction and commercialization, it will likely be pushed up several quarters uh, for 50 gig to be introduced to the market. I, we got a ton of questions. This is going to be my last question. Okay. I'll okay. get to the, all the list of questions. But so you're a cable analyst as well. Correct. What is cable going to do? So the world has gone the 10 gig symmetric. We're getting all this money. Everybody's ramping up fiber. What is cable's play here? You know, that's really, it really is a region by region answer, to be honest with you, not to, de not to deflect. Um, I would say the biggest difference, for example, between Western Europe and North America is Western Europe has extreme competition. Uh, the cable technology, because of the fact it, it cannot, is not symmetrical, is really become a hindrance for cable operators in Western Europe. Uh, there has been a lot of uh, fast movement towards DAA in Western Europe uh, and other capabilities, but because of the growing altnet uh, portfolio of operators across Western Europe, cable operators are moving faster to pawn. In North America, it's really become on a market by market basis. Um, we do know that the cable operators are deploying pawn for Greenfield in certain markets. Um, and I, I'm not here to say that cable won't be, continue to have a, a large role to play in North America. However, it seems the cable industry has accepted that ultimately everyone is moving towards fiber pawn based networks and that in order to stay competitive and to keep growing their service opportunities and not just from residential, but moving into enterprise as well as transport and smart city applications that they will need to migrate to PON. Um, I think some of the things that are happening in cable with DAA, uh, whether it be remote FI, remote Mac FI and all of the flavors in between uh, help cable operators make that transition but ultimately they will all, they are all transitioning towards a, a fiber-based access network. Yeah, that's what I'm seeing as well. So we're kind of all converging towards uh, PON. Um, so on that 
um, we have a question on about the security risks with Pond and other applications that are um, more based on dedicated service and not shared fiber. Um, do you see that? And you know, how would you mitigate those risks? Yeah, so I, I'm I'm not a security analyst, but I, I'd be happy to you know talk to uh, the security team about that. But however, uh, fiber is a, is a passive technology, and so uh, it's it's there's not necessarily the capability to to tap into the fiber lasers. Uh, however, uh, I I believe it sounds like the question may be around certain security risks uh, with regards to equipment type. Um, and uh, as, as far as I, I know, I, I, I'm not completely versed in, in the security implications, uh, but I do know it, from what I've read that there has been in North America, um, some uh, there is going to be some assistance from the FCC to uh, mitigate some potential equipment that may have risks um, to, to rip and replace that. Um, again, I, I'd be happy to get an answer from our security team, but that, that's right. my You're thing basically there. talking about the Huawei whip and replace bill. That, Correct. Um, so, uh, on the, um, I have a question about the price difference between 25 gig and 50 gig technologies. Do you have a feel for that? It sounds like the 50, uh, 50 gig is going to have much more market volume. Yeah. Um, it, it will have more, more market volume and that's strictly just because of the adoption by Chinese operators. Uh, however, I do, um, because the, the equipment has not come to market yet, we do expect there to be a price, uh, 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 some distance in the, the average sales price at the moment. And of course it varies region to region, uh, but we do suspect on a global average uh, that the Chinese vendors will likely try to have that 50 gig price point come down as fast as possible in order to compete on that level with 25 gig pawn. So that's the one benefit of tailing China is that we get to ride the, uh, the price curve down. So when North America adopts 50 gig, we'll be at low prices. Correct. Um, all right, so on the, uh, your North American forecast, are, what are you taking in consideration with, um, in perspective to the $65 billion infrastructure bill? So at the moment, we have not accounted for that in North, our North American forecast. And that's only because we, we try to work with what we know is factual. Um, and so what we have accounted for in there is the RDOF funding, as well as some of the other USDA funding and, and whatnot. Um, however, it just because it, things are not, you know, it, the, the ink is not dry on those things yet. We, we try not to, we, we're not in the business of guessing about uh, different uh, governmental uh, uh, actions. <laughs> so when you have a vertical forecast for 10 gig pond, it's kind of hard to throw another 65 billion and get it beyond vertical. Yeah, but. yeah exactly. So, uh, but we will be updating our forecast. We update by this forecast biannually. So as soon as, if there is a different, um, uh, if there is another infrastructure bill that, that comes through for broadband, uh, we, we will definitely account for that. Uh, what percentage of pond is being planned for non-commercial rollouts versus commercial rollouts? Um, the assumption is that, um, non-commercial is for infrastructure yeah um so the question on that is um i, I believe i 
maybe I'm hearing the question wrong, but um, I would like to say with RDOF that a large percentage of that bill will be related to infrastructure and civil and labor, uh, whereas a, a, a smaller percentage of that will be pure equipment buys. Uh, so that I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, you know, for example, if it is indeed 65 billion in the infrastructure bill for broadband, we, we can expect that a, a significant amount of that is going to go to civil costs. Does that answer the question? So well, we're down to out of time. Let me just throw out this okay. one last one. Is based on the technology evolution, do you feel the government will set higher standards for their uh, uh, investment, you know, their funding that they're going to be providing? You know, in my personal opinion, I view broadband in the way that electricity was viewed 100 years ago, um, and that everybody needs, everyone needs, and everyone deserves a connection to the internet, and that there should be a minimum standard that everyone can easily use the internet and and get the information or the access that they need. Um, and and so I do believe that there there should be standards set that that are suitable for no matter where you live in, in the United States. Yeah, and the current language on the the current infrastructure bill, um, it's came out as a hundred by twenty. To that was kind of a compromise that was pushed on by cable and wireless industry. But mm -hmm. the caveat on there is that each state can then go to NTIA and raise that minimum requirement. Um, to more align with what the administration wants. Administrations ask for a fiber to every American. So, so I mm -hmm. think it was kind of a compromise, but at, at the end of the day, um, anybody who's not building fiber will um, be sorely disappointed at the outcome of um, their investment. But hey, Jamie, thank you so much. We really appreciate you thank sharing you. your market insight and latest research. And uh, yes, um, your slides are, we'll be sharing those, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, next week is the Fiber Connect Conference in Nashville, so hopefully we'll see everybody there. And so we won't be back here at Fiber for Breakfast for two weeks. Um, so on August 4th, we're going to have how future fiber technologies will affect the networks of tomorrow with my good friend Ken Coe, the Managing Director of the Broadband Forum. Because he's going to discuss how service providers um, should be thinking about today, um, about what future technologies will affect the networks of tomorrow. So we'll look forward to seeing you in person next week at the Fiber Connect Conference. And then we'll be back here at Fiber for Breakfast on August 4th. So thanks, everyone. Have a great week.